This is Akafe. Laura Marie and Jessica Marie proudly present A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, a podcast. Fair warning, everything the hosts say is explicit, full of spoilers and adult content and shall not be used against them. They have opinions. Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it. This episode contains spoilers from Practical Magic and The Great Gatsby. There are also mentions of Donnie Darko, Akamath, The Last Hours, and Kingdom of the Wicked. For full list, please see show notes. Discussions from the book also include homophobia and self-harm. Everybody, and welcome to A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into the YA literature and fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie. And I'm Jessica Marie. And today we are discussing This is Wild and Wicked Things by Francesca May. And I'm going to start this off. Jess, do you have any idea why I don't like this book? Um... Oof. There, there is, there is one specific reason oh. <laughs> above all other reasons. <laughs> is it the palm slicing? It is the blood witch of it all. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. If you are a longtime listener of the Akafe podcast, you know that I, Laura Marie, do not like blood. I don't like blood magic. I don't like the descriptions of like picking scabs and slicing things and like. Uh, one of them was nibbling on her tongue <laughs> until she had drawn enough blood. I'm sorry. No. Uh, so I was grossed out the entire time that I read this book, which I read 2.5 times. Yes. I was thinking specifically because we know we talk about the finger pricking. Initially, it was just the finger pricking. And I was like, this isn't terrible. I know it's not palm slicing. And then later we get into the palm slicing at the end. And there's a comment that Emmeline says. She goes, that's going to leave a scar. But I just remember we talked about your scar the other day on um, when we recorded a different episode where you're like, I still have that fucking still scar have it. from Germany. <laughs> so <sighs> I was like, oh, this this did not. This is not going to do well. <laughs> Yeah, it didn't it didn't vibe for me, especially when Emmeline is trying to light her cigarette by flicking off a scab on her lip. I I just had to like stop and like I just can't. I just can't. Descriptions like that are too much for me. So this book was difficult for me. So because of that, I do not like this. I don't I don't like this book. Uh but I'm not shitting on it because there are things to like. Uh Jess, how do we feel? I I feel like I need to talk the book out because this was the first book that I read immediately after The Dark Artifices. So I just don't know if I was in the right frame of mind. I mean, even when I finished the book today, it is a dark, it is 50 degrees Fahrenheit pouring down. I mean, this is the perfect weather to read this book. Um, so when I was finishing it today, I'm like, okay. But I just, I don't think I was in the right frame of mind. I think there's a lot of descriptors. There are a lot of things that kind of reminded me of, um, what was it? Uh, like Kingdom of the Wicked, Kingdom of the Feared, Cursed series. But the things that I did like about it are like the things that I love about practical magic. And there are a lot of 
parts in this book that I feel like are completely mirrored, just like a practical magic in the 1920s, 1930s, because then you, of course, you have conversations about prohibition, but it's in regards to magic. And, you know, and we'll get into kind of how this book was kind of advertised also like it was a sapphic witchy romance, not even romance. It was a sapphic witchy novel tied in with the great Gatsby. That's kind of how it was, how we picked up on it and how we decided we were like, Ooh, let's do this one. And all of those things are true. It is sapphic. It is witchy. It is like kind of Gothic. E, uh, the vibes are there. It is dark. And, uh, it is very Great Gatsby-esque, very much so. So all of that is there. Um, I want to say, if 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 the listeners are analyzing me as I have asked you to, uh, I have put this book into the category of, just you mentioned Kingdom of the Wicked, Kingdom of the Feared, um, Rhapsodic, The Shadows Between Us, all of those books that like didn't quite hit for me. Uh, I put this in that category. I don't put this in the, I don't really like this because of XYZ, like I do with Serpent and Dove. So I put this in a different category. This is very great Gatsby-esque, very much so. Uh, but I have to say, I love, I love the inclusion of the purple light because I just imagine, well, purple obviously is my favorite color, but um, I just imagine it looks really beautiful, like coming out of like a like a silver stone kind of house, like over the water. Um, and of course, in Great Gatsby, that light is green, uh, calling over to um, what is it, Daisy? What's her name? Yeah, um, over there for across the bay in the Great Gatsby, but here it's across the the bay for B. Uh, there are not a lot of characters in this book, Jess. There are what, maybe 10? Less than that? Yeah, I mean, we have, we'll list the key characters. Um, you have Annie, who is really one of the main characters. You have Beatrice slash B. She's kind of, it's interchanged in the book, but she's Annie's best friend. There is kind of like a threesome of best friends that we hear about Sam. Sam is, he's referred to a lot, but not in this book. Um, you also have Arthur, who's B's husband, Emmeline, who becomes, who you find out is Annie's neighbor, Scylla, who we'll get more into. Then there's Nathan, Isabel, and Anderson. Those are kind of like the key people that are in and out of the story a lot. Yes. And um, another reason that this book kind of didn't hit with me is that it is very much a crime procedural in it, like its bones because... The villain here ends up, I mean, there's two villains, I guess, I guess, uh, but the main villain is Anderson, and he's the first first person that Annie meets on the island, and a good, you know, police crime procedural is the first person that they interview is the person that committed the crime, and that ends out, you know, that turns out to be true here, and it's just like, meh. That was just like a meh thing for me. Did you pick up on that knowing it was because I didn't realize it was going to be a crime procedural right away. So when we met him, I don't think I made that connection. Usually I pick up on it, but I don't think I was going into this with that knowledge. Oh, I this is jaded, jaded me. 
I figured that her father had been murdered because she hadn't seen him in forever and he's dead all of a sudden and all of a sudden here comes the lawyer. I just uh, thought he was just a shitty dad. Oh, yeah. No, I was <laughs> like, something is afoot here. This is suspicious okay. bullshit. Uh, so, yeah, so my hackles uh, were up with this, but um, I like to be proven wrong. Right. And I was not. I was proven correct here. He was the villain all along. It was the first dude that we met. Um, Annie bugged the shit out of me, but she bugged me less than B and B. I could not stand B. I could not stand B. Was it just me or did B just seem like a shitty friend and very. okay? because I just didn't. You know, how sometimes you're like, I we have these conversations for this reason. Like, give me a different point of view. Maybe I'm not understanding something, but I felt like to me, she was very shitty and all about her and holding things against, against Annie that was completely out of her control. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because if we look at this through the lens of like Annie, Annie is gay, right? Like she ends up in a relationship with Emmeline. She was not kind of aware of that when she was growing up with B and she, but she knew that she didn't love Sam the way that, you know, she was supposed to or like the way that B did. And she also didn't because of how like how homophobia exists. I mean, homophobia still exists now unfortunately, but in this time it's all about, you know, they're like, "Oh, it's it's apparent within the communities." You know, yeah, and this is like 1922. Yeah. Uh, but I think, I think this is just me. This is just me. This is just me. So this is just how I'm thinking of it. B, as you say, is holding all of this stuff against Annie. Um, but Annie, and Annie does say kind of in the book later that she was kind of oblivious to all of this. And I kind of feel like that Annie was just kind of wrapping her head around like, what she was feeling and like who she really was as a person and like what was going on within her and like what that relationship with Sam was and because she knew it wasn't quite right. And that was her like focus. Right. Uh, And then all this stuff with B, she didn't even kind of. But and it wasn't done out of malice either. She says multiple times in the book, she goes and it wasn't like an ill intention of leading him on she admitted that she goes i do think that sam cared for me because beatrice was like he loved you more than he loved me and don't deny it and annie says like i can't deny it i do know that but i also know that she care i would never say that to her she's my friend and i don't feel even if that's the case it wasn't reciprocated that way so that wasn't even a priority to her and like B, yeah, I I don't think that B was a very good friend. I think that B was just really a bad person throughout all of this because uh, B could have prevented all of this. She made a promise and she didn't keep it. That that is the that's the plot. Yeah. B made a promise. She made a promise after the wedding. She was going to bring Arthur back and they were going to do the blood debt and it was going to be settled. And that was that. She promised and she didn't and because and we'll get into this but because it had to be willing like it's not like they could like force him back over there so 
B is the whole problem. B's the problem. It's just so annoying. Oh my gosh. And it's funny because like thinking of like, you know, you have the flashbacks with B and Emily and saying like, are you sure? Like you have to promise me you'll come back. These are the consequences. You can't fuck around and find out because when you do bad shit happens. And B's like, you didn't warn me. You didn't warn me. And Emily's like, Exactly what you're saying. Like, hello, I'm telling you. Yeah. And that's also part of the reason why she like she may she has the conversation where when she does anything, you know, that's she in like she um she emphasizes the importance of basically like this is your disclaimer you're acknowledging this do not hold me accountable i i read you the terms and conditions of all this shit yes okay what are we talking about um emmeline no 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 Mm-mm. b straight up leaves annie one day on the island where they grow up whitby uh, she just leaves one day and she like kind of runs away to and she ends up in crow island and then sends letters whatever that she's married on Crow Island. Okay. Okay. So Annie's dad dies. Annie's dad just so happens to live on Crow Island. So off goes Annie. That and that's how Annie gets there. Annie reconnects with B. B and her husband, Arthur, act weird as fuck. Also, there are uh, witches on the island and ma- there's like a magic prohibition. But it's like fun and like fortunes and like ha 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 and like drug booze. Uh, Very fun. Very fun. Okay. The deal between Emmeline, who lives at Cross House, who is like the head witch at Cross House, which is next door. This is all this plot, which is next door to Annie's cottage. This is very great Gatsby. Big house next to the cottage with the, she has a beautiful car. Annie does. Okay. Um, So the bargain B shows up to Cross House and meets Emmeline. She is pregnant and wants an abortion. That's the first one. She ends up, like, staying there for a while, right? And, like, they become friends and Emmeline kind of, like, falls in love with her. Right. That's the other problem. Emmeline falls in love with her. And then B is, like, weird about that. And goes off and finds Arthur and then begs Emmeline to, like, give her, pretty much, Arthur. Um, unbeknownst to be, Arthur has, like, a love child and, like, a, like a side piece that he is very much, like, I would say, like, kind of devoted to. Because, and I bring that up, because uh, in the very beginning of the book, Arthur, when Annie and B meet Arthur... Right. Annie meets Arthur for the first time. He's like, where's my watch? And we know that his mistress, Violet, has the watch. So in my head, like he is like actively cheating on B, even though they're married with Violet, because she hasn't had that watch for like a year, you know, like. Well, and isn't there a comment because there's flashbacks back and forth and there's just conversations where she goes, I knew where she makes a comment that he wasn't a fan of the watch. She's mm-hmm. like, oh, I got him this watch, but I don't think he he takes too kind to it because I always see him leaving it around or yeah. something. Yeah, and he like left it casually at his mistress house. Ah, oh, gosh. Emmeline. Emmeline is a blood witch. Emmeline is a blood witch. Isabella is like a storm witch. And Nathan is, um, he, he gets feelings 
uh, through skin contact and he can like read the vibes and like minds and stuff. Very cool. Very cool. They live in Cross House. Uh, the blood bargain that B and Emmeline strike that is the catalyst for all of this. This drives me. This drives me crazy. I, like I, I, I don't, I don't know why. It is just so. It is so selfish of of B. I just can't really get over it. Like you, you know the consequences. Like even though B says over and over and over again, like you didn't tell me, I didn't know, I didn't know. You're actively like watching Emmeline like die. Like especially later on when she, she knew what would happen. Yeah, she knew what would happen if it didn't happen willingly. And also, it's I know I referenced to Latin the other day about necromancy, but it's another situation where the genie's like, I can't make people fall in love, and that's exactly what she what B asked Emmeline here to be like, please have him belong to me. I want him to love me. The and she goes, but these are the and and Emmeline saying these are the consequences if we do this. Like I can make it happen, but you really shouldn't. You shouldn't mess around with this type of thing. And B being her is, well, I don't care. This is what I want. This is how it impacts me. I don't care how it impacts anybody else. Yeah, and Annie is going through like her own kind of situation annie has had panics since she's been a child where she hears like the ocean like rushing in her ears and stuff uh we know that that is her magic she is like a water witch she's prone to premonitions and she's been having premonitions and like feelings her whole life it's like when she sleepwalks and wakes up on the beach so we know this um but annie describes herself as like a timid little mouse who always like falls into the same safe like annie behaviors and she wants like uh, adventure and she wants to be wild and free. Um, but Annie annoys the piss out of me. Uh, by just, we talked about this earlier. She's like, I'm in this cottage and I can twirl around and not hit anything, but the freedom, the freedom is too much. It's like, oh my God, please stop. <laughs> please. No, no, no. The freedom is not too much. It's wonderful. God. And it's the first time that she's actually had some sort of freedom because she's kind of it's always just kind of been her and her mom because she didn't you know she only interacted with her father a couple times and she didn't even realize you know as she's piecing things together she's like oh my dad is the witch like and that's why he's on this island which is notorious for witches and just because it's in your blood doesn't necessarily mean it'll manifest. And then there's like different versions of the powers, like Laura was saying. So there's just a lot of back and forth. Annie complains about the things that she can control. And I know that's a huge frustration of yours, Laura. Yes, it is. It is. She's like, oh, I, you know, I don't I don't know what to do. It's like, yes, you do. Just go do it. Oh, my God. What? Well, just go to the party. It's It's next door. It's next door. It's literally down the beach. Just go. Just go. Oh, my God. Like you're in this beautiful cottage. It's just, it's just so frustrating. Um, I did like though her reaction to finding like her dad's secret room in his house. I just do not understand. This is, this is a gripe that I have. I do not understand why they didn't sell. This is about the end, but I'm going to say it now. I don't understand why they didn't sell Cross House and then move into Annie's dad's house because she makes the comment of like, oh, my dad's house is like way nicer than Cross House. Cross House is like 
grand, but it's crumbling. But like my dad's house is grand, but like clean and like sleek. And I was just like, there's your solution at the end of the book. But well, because and maybe I confuse this. There was a point where she was at the cottage and then she's meeting with like the estate agent. The cottage isn't her dad's house. It's two separate things. Why was she harping on it? Like the cottage, I just, that confused me. And I guess that goes to what you said, where she's like, oh my God, it's too much. The cottage was for practicality while she was figuring out all the estate stuff. Yeah. I don't understand what she was complaining about. I guess that's what my my frustration is. Yeah, you're in this gorgeous cottage that like swoops like down to the oat. Just shut up. <laughs> That's why I was like, it's that's really what's, what that's it sometimes is. why I get confused. Like, that's why I was I'm like, I make, I know I have the pieces there. Why, why, you know, one, two plus two isn't mathing right now. Because yeah. why are you complaining? Uh, it's, it's, uh, okay. Okay. Let's talk about, um, the, I'm going to say it wrong. The, the vinculum, the vinculum between Emmeline and Annie. So we we love this. This is like a I picture this. Ooh, Jess, have you seen Donnie Darko? No, no, I know. Add it to the list. Yes, add it to the list. Um, especially in October. Okay. Uh, Donnie Darko, if you are listening, is is a fantastic movie. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, watch it in October because there's a Halloween party. But uh, Donnie Darko, there's a scene where they're talking about. Um, you know, I'm not going to give it away, but something extending from your solar plexus, um, like a like a like a guide extending from your solar plexus and leading you around. And it, it was it's in the movie. It's like fate. You can like see your fate because you can watch it like happen in front of you. Um, but they do describe it as like kind of cords that like tie and the mating bonds are so prevalent in the books that we read, but that's not what this is. This is like something different. Uh, so I liked the visual when I was reading of using the Donnie Darko to separate it from the like, um, like Reese Feyre kind of like cord connection situation. Okay. This is like a connection between the two of them. It doesn't have to be sexual or romantic. They say that a lot. Um, but if it is like cool, you can like share powers and stuff. Yeah, I was going to say it's almost like it's stronger if that's the case, because they also drill that home in the last epilogue of yeah. the book. It's just a whole breakdown of the connection that they have. Yeah, it's it's basically like a marriage bond. Like, yeah, it's, it's really what it is. Uh, and I do like it. And they talk about having to control it and they can feel each other's emotions and putting up the wall because yep. Emmeline's like, I walls. have to block her off. I don't need her to know like where where my mind at is at with all of this. Yep. And uh, they actively like push it down and it uses a lot of energy, the energy depletion trope. Mm -hmm. I, yep. I was thinking of fearless when we yeah. when I when I read that. Yep. All of that, all of that. And the, and the vinculum, um, is very important and it stays with them, you know, throughout the rest of the book, but they do actively fight it for a while. And they, uh, they both don't really know what it is. It's like legendary and like rare or whatever. Um, and they don't know what it is, but towards the end of it, they embrace it. So we do like that. Okay. It's important to note that Emmeline killed Priscilla, Scylla, and Scylla is who Annie's dad was like interacting with with the council and everything 
because uh, this is all set in like 19, it, it starts in like 1918 with World War One, And, you know, now we're like out of the war. And that's where we're at. But like, there's a whole backstory with her dad and like, and Anderson and stealing of books and not teaching of the big old rare grimoire. Well, and even Pr- Priscilla, Scylla. So she, I don't want to say she's trafficking kids because that's not what she's doing. She's kind of being the collecting, maybe. She's finding orphans who have magic in their blood and then just trying to redirect them, but in a way that she's okay with. And they're, they, even in some of the flashbacks, uh, they're like, I don't like the way that Scylla is, has all these like kids who have magic and saying that she's going to fix them as if there's something wrong with the powers that they have, because we know everybody's powers are different and everything manifests differently. And so there's no guidance. So she kind of creates this. Th- there's just something that right there was already wrong with. It- it's almost like this is the only way that you can do things and I'm going to fix anything that you like there was something wrong with you to begin with. You're right, because she isn't exactly trafficking kids, because when she does die, uh, the inheritance is there for all of them and they they can like leave. Right. It's it's like they can go. And a lot of them do. And the only ones that stay are Isabel and Emmeline and Nathan. So it's just it's just like a really weird situation. She was kind of like a harem mom sort of like yes but i feel like she was also kind of malicious at least towards emmeline because definitely yeah because then you you have the end of the book where she um you know she leaves the estate to emmeline but it's not like this selfless thing we want you to have a home no it's to tie you to this so you will never leave this Mm -hmm. has always been a delacroix house and obviously all the kids have her last name and it could have been anybody, but she was already and, you know, frust- you know, she already didn't like Emmeline because she goes, I see you with all the with everybody and I see the way you look at boys and it's not the the way the other girls look at the boys. You want to be a boy. You like she ugh, she was just awful to her the whole time. I was angry for Emmeline. Emmeline to me is um, Anna Lightwood. Do you remember reading about Anna Lightwood? Uh, that is the only visual for me is Emmeline is Anna Lightwood and I cannot get the visual out of my head. So they are one and the same. That actually kind of goes with who I like. I imagined like Ruby Rose mm-hmm. um, as Emmeline uh, as Emmeline and like a white shirt. And there, mm-hmm. there's a there's a TikTok going around about gender bending Prince Eric mm-hmm. and they all have Ruby Rose casted as him. And I'm like. Oh my God, I would love that. And that's kind of how I imagined Emily in this whole book is at Ruby Rose with like yeah. a 1920s thing. But when I looked up Anna, I was like, Oh, that matches. It's so that's her, perfect. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, very good. Very good. Um, Anna Lightwood from The Last Hours, Shadowhunters. Let's talk about the parties because the parties, uh, the parties are what gets us to the back half of the book and the back half is just practical magic. So um, <laughs> the the parties are very, this is all great Gatsby-esque, right? We have the American, the, she says very specifically, American Georgian style mansions. Now this is set in freaking England, okay? So uh, automatically, okay, whoa. Um, we've got Anna or Annie, next door in a little cottage next to a big mansion that projects a purple light. There we go. 
uh, Annie and Emmeline are like dual narrators. So that's like a little different, but cool. Um, they are whipping around a little, you know, seaside town. Very much, very much. Uh, they're drinking, they're drinking an ass load and driving. I mean, that's like a very important plot point. Uh, the man, you know, the main guy, love interest, pretty much the guy, love interest is having an affair. <sighs> what else? What else is great? Gatsby ask more will come to me. Um, but it's, it's mostly the parties, the big parties in the big house. Uh, they're talking about, you know, um, you know, it's, you know, being at a big party um, is intimate. It's more intimate than being at a small party. You really get to know people at a big party with um, smaller parties. You don't. So, and you just think like everybody's on the lawn and the lawn sweeps down to the sea and there's thousands of electric lights and everything. So like we really have the scene that is set and that's where Emmeline does her magic. She, um, the book opens describing like the witching hour, which is like after a party. And that's how she gets clients with the purple light, all of that stuff, all of that stuff. Okay. The back half of this book is practical magic. Jess, how? How is the back half practical magic? I mean, how many times do they need to kill Arthur, right? Twice. (laughs) Twice, yeah. They kill him. I mean, okay. So Annie sees uh, Arthur and B having a fight. We later find out that, oh, B is basically telling Arthur the truth, finally, because it took her fucking long enough. Um, because and, and I flash back to what we were just saying earlier with Emmeline giving B the rundown. It has to be willing. Are you sure he's going to be willing? Like, you're, you're putting a lot of faith that this person who you're forcing me to have fall in love with you is going to be willing. Forcing, yeah. Willing. Willing to <sighs> all of a sudden give his blood. For my blood that he knows he doesn't even know me because mm-hmm. of this whole thing. It's a lot. It's it's so Arthur finds out there's a confrontation and he sees it um, and flash forward. Arthur dies. He comes well, back to wait, life. Wait, wait, oh. wait. He Arthur beats B and yeah. leaves her for dead. He thinks right. he kills he her. He thinks he kills her because they they couldn't find B for a while. They uh Emmeline and Annie. Annie find B and that's when they started clicking. They were like, "Wait, if this is the whole he thought she was dead and he was like scot free kind of thing." So and Annie, you know, and B has bruises and that is a different plot point. Not even a plot point, but that makes up for it later on because then she's going to go to the cops um but they have to bring uh b back to life first then okay well b's alive b's alive but they but But they thought she was dead yeah yeah so they take her back to the house and like they do the whole thing have to like but then arthur but this is the thing that i like about this book though is we get a chapter we get some povs in arthur's like view. So, um, so this attack that happens when Arthur, um, finds out that, that B isn't dead and storms over to Cross House, we get that attack in his POV. And I thought that was a very interesting way to do it. We only get his POV twice. I think it's, I think it's twice. I know it's once in this scene. Uh, the other times might be that guy that's reading from, uh, Annie's dad's diary. 
that voice, which I have an issue with that only because when they have, which I love the audio and the music in the background, because that's very much like Kingdom of the Wicked, where you have the whooshing. And, but sometimes the musical elements were louder than the voice. The, yeah. The voice elements. So I, I was like, wait, that it's just like when you're editing a video here, like I have to make the music softer. That That's a critique that I have there. He dies. They kill him. Annie kills him. Annie shoots him. Annie kills him. Right. And she fucking talks about it for the rest of the book. Right? And I feel like she did it in one shot. Why do I feel like they talk about like a singular bullet hole? I think so. Maybe it was was I don't know. Good for her. So why am I drawing a blank of how he comes back? Because I feel like because they have to bury him. No. Yes. Okay. I'm starting to mix things because we you're, just did practical magic. You're mixing magic. practical yeah. magic. Okay. Yes. <laughs> it's it's very similar. So so Annie kills Arthur right there. Shoots him dead. They bury him like in the back garden or in the greenhouse or whatever. They're talking about the garden. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So they bury him there and they're like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And meanwhile, B, you know, uh, all this stuff. B's pregnant. B's pregnant. They all, all of this stuff is revealed. And then Annie uh, starts, you know, Annie stops her complaining for a little bit. And she looks through, finally, her dad's grimoire, finally is looking for a solution, finally. And she sees, like, a resurrection spell. And she's like, oh, we can do this. And then if he's alive, then he will talk to him. We'll talk to him again. And he'll totally understand and be totally normal. And he will give us his blood to complete the debt. And then it'll be fine. Because, okay, so that was because Emmeline needs the blood, but they can't just take the blood because he's dead because now it's bad blood. So they need to resurrect him so he can have fresh blood again to, to exchange for her, her, you know, so she's not supplementing her blood. For this blood magic spell she did, uh, Emmeline did with B. That's okay. Yes. And, and they learn through looking at the grimoire that, um, Emmeline only has, has like way less time than she originally thought. So that's why like the speed of all of this is accelerated. She has like a couple days or something. She doesn't have yeah. that long. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. Then he comes back. And then he comes back and it's still practical magic because yep. he's crazy and he's a fucking zombie and he goes after them again. Yeah, what would, they were talking about, like how his tongue was swirling around and mm-hmm. then they kill him again. And they're like, but it was self-defense. It was self-defense. Like that, that they're trying to push the self-defense the second time. <laughs> Which, but you know what? I, then you flash forward again and now then his body possesses <laughs> then he does a body possession yes and then he does a body possession um my my um notes here says kill again no tell emmeline is dying because just like practical magic after they after they kill him the first time they don't tell anybody they like deeply try to keep it from isabel and nathan they don't want to upset them but then when they kill him again Isabel and Nathan know at that point. So then it's like this whole thing. Um, But then we get Anderson's POV. Anderson, our villain. Um, I think it's what? Jonas? Jonas? Jonas Anderson? He's the villain. So he is also here. He pops in here. And he's like, rah, I'm here too. I'm getting the book. (laughs) And he's in the wrong place, wrong time. And he gets possessed by uh, Arthur. Because like, goddamn. (laughs) God damn. Uh, but yeah, 
Yeah, and then and then there's what we're at we're at the end we're at the end of the book. There's like a viculum acceptance and exchanging of power, right, between the two of them. Right, and then there was the moment where their power drained, so they couldn't work on they couldn't work together to bring back Nathan. Right, was because dying. that's what they yeah Nathan was dying because he was like basically in his last breath is like saving. Everybody. Yes, yes. And Isabel's like, bring them back, and they're like, we we can't, we don't, we don't have it. We're depleted. We don't. And and Annie even says she's like, I only taste blood in my mouth, blood and pain. I don't have this the the salty seawater that usually runs when she's um when she's doing when she when she could taste the magic. That's when she's when she started yeah. accepting her magic. I guess is what I should say. Yes, her yeah, and her magic is salt and water, and Emmeline's is blood and grave dirt. Uh, that's the the book ends the the <laughs> the book ends there right like everybody's like oh okay um and Annie goes so B is pregnant and she's going off to Europe and Nathan is dead Isabel is I don't I don't know where Isabel is they didn't really say where they she was say where Isabel yeah. was and then Annie goes back to her house to say goodbye to her mom. Uh, and realizes that she's like outgrown there. You know, she has like changed her life. She's accepted who she is. She's a witch. Da 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 da. And then she um, meets Emily in there, who has like a nice fresh haircut. She's in her nice like suit. You know, they're in love. They're women. They're in love. It's wonderful magic, which is that's how it ends. And then we get a little extra, um, like chapter here talking about the bonding ceremony with the viculum and how it's really. Um, very powerful and it can be um like a marriage vow ceremony situation mm-hmm. and then that's how the book ends um frustrating this book was frustrating i was frustrated the whole time because uh like we say a lot of the times it takes all the boxes it takes all the boxes but it doesn't uh pull me in and it doesn't make me care about any of these characters. And that's not just because of the very vivid and gross descriptions of picking scabs. I wanted to, I, I, it was okay. I don't feel connected to it. I don't think I wouldn't read it again. No. I just felt like, you know how sometimes you have things that you read and it's just a situation of, I just need to finish this. Let me see what I can take away from it. And then maybe I could ask myself some questions of like, well, why didn't I like it? Because like you said, it has the components and I wanted to like it. Like how we heard the just the one liner of how it was being pitched through various social platforms. And we're like, this this is going to this is going to work well. We're going to get into it like it's all the vibes. And I just kept waiting for it to happen. Like, I feel like I didn't really get into it. To like more than I was more than halfway through the book till I was like, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Yeah. And there was a plot point that was not resolved that is really bugging the shit out of me. And it's the crows. And the, the, like, they kept emphasizing like one for malice, two two for for something, and three for death. Yeah. One for malice, two for spite, three for death. Yeah. And and then they were like, then, then Emmeline was like, I keep seeing threes everywhere. And then, flash forward and then Annie sees one but like what was that for yeah and they keep emphasizing the fountain with the women that have crow's wings uh and you know how the crows are like very it's just what was that what was that 
is there more there? Are they really people? Are they people? Like, well, I mean, think of Doctor Who when you have the angels. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, so what? Wh- what is it? And like, we get kind of like a background story of like, oh, and then and then um, uh, Annie asks B. She's like, oh, I heard a story that the lady that lives at Cross House can turn into to a crow. Can she? And B's like, no, that's crazy. Well. I mean, I guess if she really wanted to, she could. But then how about the then one of the first things that Annie says to Emmeline when they make their first formal introduction? She's like, I heard that you could turn into a crow. Where? This is, you know, I know. Miss ma'am. I just, I know it's the 1920s and people were a little bit more uh, reformed with their, you know, um, who, who am I thinking of? Like Emily Dickens, not Emily Dickens. Who am I thinking of? The, the columnist, Miss Manners. I can't think of Ms. her Manners. name. Yes, but you, there was like a column. I can't think of it. So sorry. Um, but her, like, where's the etiquette? There, the, etiquette there. I finally got to the word that I wanted to use. Etiquette. I know that there was more etiquette in the 1920s than in 2022. <laughs> well, I, well, that's a really good point, though, because I think that just goes to Annie's like whole thing about her being insecure, right? And like not fitting in and her like not knowing how to like play politics with all these like really rich people and her just being like, bah, bah, <laughs> anytime she's like nervous. Uh, so, okay. That's so what it is, right? So then would you could. Okay. So let's say if we're in support of Annie, could you say, well, you know, maybe she's, it's because she's introverted. She's a little socially awkward. That doesn't mean that she could, could you argue that? Yeah, probably. She's also incredibly sheltered and just like not, I, I don't know. Uh, well, because she was at like dance halls and stuff, you know, like, I, I don't know. I don't know. She, I'm just trying to look at it at a delay. <laughs> I know. I know. Annie just didn't really do it for me. I mean, none of them really did it for me. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, the Great Gatsby doesn't really do it for me. It it leaves me all of um, Hemingway leaves me feeling kind of um, empty and disconnected. Like the prose are very beautiful, but I it, it there isn't a lot of substance there for me. I've always felt that way, and English teachers have always shot on me for that, um, very publicly in class. Uh, but it it I don't know. So. Th- Knowing that about myself, that I don't really like Hemingway, but I do appreciate the vibe and aesthetic of The Great Gatsby very much. I do that. Well, that kind of like you could you can say that here, too. Like, the it's beautiful. It's beautifully written. It's not stagnant at all. But like that, everything you just said could be applied to this, too. Yeah. I, I don't know. I like that there's not a lot of men. We don't need them. You know, the one that the ones that are there are villains besides Nathan. And that's great. Fine. Uh, I like Isabel and Emmeline's sisterhood and friendship. I wish they had more communication, but they have like a long, you know, complicated bond. So, yeah, I like I feel like part of their their bond complication is because of Scylla. Mm -hmm. She's created that. Um, and it's always hard to kind of navigate that, you know, especially now that Scylla is not there. It's like, what do you do with this? How how do you establish this new relation and how do we navigate through it, too? Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, very. Mm. I'm glad that B's out of the picture, because as we said in the beginning of the episode, I don't think she's a good friend. I don't think she was ever a good friend to Annie. And I think that she 
held on to and became very bitter about resentments that Annie was naive and wasn't aware of that easily could have been resolved through a little bit of communication if they were really as close as they both claim that they were. Well, I feel like it was one of those things where Annie thought that they were closer than they were. Because at one point, even Annie's like, B, try to say something to Annie. And Annie's like, how about you tell me you were fucking pregnant twice, twice, because she had one person who wasn't her husband. Mm -hmm. And then she was pregnant again. And everyone's like, "Okay, like you do you. But at the same time, like, don't claim one thing and then hold it against everybody else. And then B has to come around and say, I love you, Annie, but I hate you more. What Mm -hmm. the fuck? Yep. Yeah, yeah, she does say that because, but honestly, honestly, though, Annie was super fucking annoying because every time that she talked to (laughs) B, she was like, I killed your husband. I killed your husband. (laughs) And I do get B just being like, shut the fuck. I fucking hate you right now. Stop bringing it up. Well, when you say it that way, it's like, okay, that (laughs) she did, though, like every time she's like, I know you're mad at me because I killed your husband. No, but even when you're like. When you like, there are some people you could be friends with people, and you're like, I I hate you right now. So you saying that kind of lightens it because the way I heard it, it was full of like I fucking Venom. hate you. Yeah, I. So that's how I read it, and I did, and we did this both through the audio experience. So I heard it that way too. So. But you rephrasing it, even using the same words, I was like, okay, that's a little bit lighter. It's not as like, oof. It's like, oof. Uh, I, we should say, and we, we did mention the, um, it's Hachette audio, which is the same that does, um, Kingdom of the Wicked. So as Jess mentioned, there is music, there is like vibes, there is a lot more atmospheric kind of situations going on here. It is also the same female narrator. There are two, um, but one of them is the same narrator as Kingdom of the Wicked. So it was very, which is also about witches and also a book that I don't like very much. So it was very easy to step back into these shoes. You know, this like little, this hat fit very well. Um, yeah, this book is just not for me. Uh, I don't necessarily think that I would recommend this. However, if someone came to me and asked for um, specifically a sapphic witch Great Gatsby, this is what I would give them. Yeah. Uh, but I would not. Yeah, I think that's what it is, is also it's, pe- you know, when people ask for book recs, just because you wouldn't personally recommend it for yourself, if you can tell, like, if this, there, it's like, sometimes I'll do my reviews on Goodreads. I'll be like, look, this ro- contemporary romance wasn't for me. However, if you love second chance romance and friends to lovers and like all the things that some people, that is their favorite thing. You're totally like same same thing with this. You would totally vibe with it if you if there are certain things that would you know that you really enjoy with certain books. Who's your favorite character here? I want to say I want to say Emmeline, but honestly, I didn't have one. I just kind of read it, which doesn't happen. Like <laughs> usually, I have like somebody that really sticks out. I I mean. Nobody really did it. What about you? Isabel. Oh. Isabel. I liked Isabel. I liked uh, that she just called everybody on their bullshit. She knew when something was wrong. She got angry and she expressed her deepest emotions through uncontrollable weather patterns. And I like weather. So I just thought that was cool. And I was just like, oh, 
You. I like you. <laughs> uh, you know, of everybody that I have, you're the one that's not practicing blood magic. So you're the one that doesn't gonna, <laughs> you're not gonna have any descriptions of slicing. So I'm gonna latch on to you. So that is, that is, that's where I went with that. I love that. Well, thanks for joining us this week. Um, feel free to follow us on Instagram. We're at Acafe Podcast. We're also both on TikTok, Acafe Laura and Acafe Jessica. And if you feel so kind to leave us a review, um, feel free to leave us a positive review on any of your social listening platforms. We appreciate you. And thanks for joining us. Thank you. Bye. Bye.